okay, so let's let's just finish up by talking a little bit about Natan Sharansky. And by the way, we've just now begun to dig deeper. And I'll I'll credit you, Greg. You were always focused on Ron Dermer, and you would keep pointing out to me in my through my thick skull. I would they would not quite resonate with me in the same way that Michael Ledeen, being Michael Flynn's co-author uh, of uh, the Field of Fight uh, in twenty six in during the twenty sixteen uh, election season, that you kept pointing out to me that Natan Sharansky's co-author in his key post 9-11 book, The Case for Democracy or something like that, which was, you know, recognized, uh, I think published in 2004 and recognized as highly influential in maybe the thinking, but definitely in the public relations and communications strategies of the George W. Bush White House, a White House at war uh, in Iraq as a justification for what we probably should call the clean break wars and uh, reshaping the Middle, a- Middle, Middle East and the de- de- creating democratic forces that will then spread like a positive virus or something like that. And that Dermer, who, by the way, is called Netanyahu's brain, right? And it's, you know, the kind of people that call like Dugan Putin's brain or Rove, right? Wasn't Rove called George Bush's brain or, yeah. you know, th- those kinds of things. The Dermer is recognized as uh, Netanyahu's brain and he's the co-author of Sharansky, who, by the way, the more and more I actually encounter Sharansky on these digital spaces, I've encountered him on these Zoom calls where I've tried to call into question his role in the uh, architectures of the clean break wars, but also the question of these uh, Israeli Jewish Soviet refuseniks writing a book about him, unmasking him, I think was the title of the book by a respected uh, Israeli surgeon, uh, Yuli Noodleman, that then uh, that uh, Sharansky then uh, sued over. uh, And Noodleman actually had uh, witnesses on his side who had actually been Soviet refuseniks and had, and some of them had like, you know, had um, direct uh, witness evidence. Now, I'm not sure if they witnessed it themselves or they they knew the people who would witness it in terms of Sharansky when he was in a Soviet prison appeared to actually be uh, shacked up in the uh, the guardhouse. <laughs> so uh, calling into question whether Sharansky was actually a Soviet snitch rather than a political prisoner and a ultimately maybe some kind of Soviet uh, police agent of some sort. So just in my encounter with Sharansky, in terms of the, his written work, he almost always has a co-author too, even when he wrote the article about the un-Jews, the un-Jewing, uh, of, of, uh, and this is mainly about the Zionism issue, Jews who don't, uh, you know, either non-Zionist, post-Zionist, anti-Zionist, they're not real Jews, right? So this whole weaponized IHRA definition is not just for the Gentiles. It's also to make sure to keep the, uh, the bad, the un-Jews in line too, in terms of the de- definition of what it means to be a Jew, uh, that I've just found that Sharansky is sort of a dim, dim, he's a dim bulb. He's, there's not a lot going on there intellectually. Now, I know he's smart in certain ways, like he's good at chess. Uh, he's good politically. Uh, I'm sure he's read some things. But the, in terms of actually like intellectual capacity, I don't see a lot there. And so that's that then began to make me think that, you know, that you pointing out that Dermer is the co-author for this key book 
And then Dermer being seen as uh, what Frank Luntz, who was his professor at uh, Wharton School at University of Pennsylvania, um, uh, it called his, what is his brightest student, Greg, or something so. like I that? Think, yeah, I think that's what he referred to him as. Yeah, by the way, uh, Ron Dermer uh, chose to go to Pennsylvania, University of Pennsylvania, the Wharton School, after reading The Art of the Deal by Donald Trump. That was right <laughs> in his Wikipedia profile, as uh, Dermer cited that at a, uh, at a reunion dinner as his uh, reason for going to uh, the Wharton School, Wharton Business School at Penn. So... <laughs> <laughs> out of control and of course there's another one who can't seems to always have a co-author right the co-author of art of the deal by donald trump uh, tony schwartz actually ended up whistleblowing on his ass uh too so this is a yeah. sort of interesting and, history here and then the book i believe it was uh was it is it was it in bb my story where benjamin netanyahu i think um i don't know if, i think he mentioned ron dermer is uh big dermer would uh, help uh Help sell Trump on certain, you know, policies as far as Israel Palestine goes by making uh, golf analogies. You know, like if I, you know, this is a this. Think of this as a twenty-five foot. Think of this as a twenty-five foot putter. Think of this. So it's just, <laughs> it's just uh, uh, and you could see that. But uh, Dermer is a very, uh, very interesting guy behind the shadows. I mean, he, uh, yeah. you know, he went to Penn and to Oxford, and he was a, you know, student of Frank Luntz's, and then he got involved in Israeli politics with. Uh, with Sharansky in the uh, late 90s, 96, which was the year uh, Netanyahu was uh, became prime minister, and then was introduced to Benjamin Netanyahu via Sharansky, and he immediately becomes like this, uh, this right-hand man of sorts to Netanyahu. And it looks like he was in introduced to Sharansky by this uh, key and not very well-known, um, uh, actually Oxford, it looks like, oriented uh, power player. Um, that we'll we'll get into all of that uh, later. But and then one other thing we're looking at in terms of Dermer and uh, obviously his key role in terms of Natan Sharansky, the great mind of the new anti-Semitism and of the wars for democracy and all of that kind of stuff, is the actual family history there, the Dermers, right? And so they are Miami power players uh, before before Dermer became you know relinquished his American citizenship. And uh, went to Israel, by the way, right, you know, right, as you were pointing out, just right in with Netanyahu. I think he comes in 1996 as Netanyahu's brought in by the Arthur Finkelstein network of who Frank Luntz is a key finky kid. And so may, so does that mean Dermer is like a, you know, a second generation finky kid? It seems so, right? Uh, <laughs> and that's how he's then... So there, there probably is a relationship even directly between Finkelstein, Arthur Finkelstein, and Ron Dermer in terms of that 1996 uh, bringing Netanyahu into power. But this, the background of the family, the Dermer family, seems to be coincide with this question of mob activity. Miami, Florida, obviously. Meyer Lansky, where does Meyer Lansky uh, end up after actually multiple countries around the world would not take his million dollars in exchange for giving him asylum of some sort? Even the Israelis were a little bit uncomfortable around Sharansky. I mean, I mean, uh, Meyer Lansky. And uh, and so Meyer Lansky ends up in Miami uh, while uh, the Dermers move down from New York City sometime, I think, in the 60s. And then the father of Ron Dermer, Jay uh, Dermer, 
becomes the mayor of Miami. And by the way, Ron Dermer helped his brother become a two-time mayor of Miami. And Miami so there, there are some questions here in terms of gambling, mob money, the Meyer Lansky syndicate, the Miami uh, connection here in terms of the actual root of uh, Ron Dermer. Definitely. And, um, you know, it's interesting that uh, in the in the early days of the Trump administration, it was uh, David Friedman who got all the attention as the ambassador to Israel, like, you know, this hard line settlement hawk and Trump is putting somebody who's not going to be an honest like a uh, broker as far as the Middle East goes, as far as Israel, Palestine goes. I think that was you know accurate, of course, I think pretty important and accurate person to to focus on in that regard and his own connections like the Trump uh, organization and all this. But Ron Dermer very, very much flew under the radar, like in this crucial role as like this American born, uh, South Florida born um, dad gives up his ultimately gives up his American citizenship in order to uh, take uh, in order to serve in Israel and the Israeli government. And then is this um, is the ambassador to uh, is the Israel's ambassador to the U.S. during the contentious final years of Obama on throughout the Trump administration. And he very much flew under the radar in comparison uh, to to other people who got far more attention than he did. But I think uh, Dharma is a very uh, just based on some of this and then other things as well. Uh, that we'll share in some, uh, we'll post a couple articles. Uh, Dermer is a very important person, I think, to understand. And then one last thing I'll say about Dermer is that uh, go back to the uh, an article that we uh, we covered on air several years back. Uh, Trump's New World Order, written in the New Yorker by Adam Entis in 2018, and it was uh, the the site was the and the scene was the inauguration of Trump and. Um, Someone pointed to uh, Sergei Kislyak, the Russian ambassador, said, you're the most important ambassador here today. Kislyak smiles and points at Ron Dermer and says, no, he's the most important ambassador mm-hmm. today. <laughs> Very good, Greg. I've, I got to hand it to you for staying on the Dermer beat over all these years. Uh, crucial character. And you're right. He noticed went, he's around. <laughs> and he, what he did, he flew under the radar uh, way more than he should have in terms of how crucial a player He is in terms of the timing of all this. He was crucial to Netanyahu's storming of the Capitol in uh, in 2015. The Netanyahu and Dermer even, uh, I think, uh, lay out as like this key moment in terms of what ultimately become the Abraham Accords uh, that the, you know, the key, uh, you know, mainly Emirati and Saudi leadership will reach out to Netanyahu after they see the way that he confronted Obama over the quote unquote Iran threat uh, and all of that. And as we pointed out before, in terms of our analysis of the 11-9 operation and of Netanyahu's autobiography, that what's unsaid by, uh, by Netanyahu and now I would say add on Dermer is that it was also the hatching of the logistics of the actual 11-9 operation to back and install Trump into the White House that very likely is launched after the uh, the storming of the Capitol by Netanyahu that Dermer played a key role uh, in, in terms of uh, the communications over and the logistics and all of that. And then after that is when you then see the Red Sea yacht conspiracy that really is the launching of the, at the very least, of the Middle Eastern component of the 11-9 operation uh, to install Trump and I would say then create the entire political uh, destabilizing, really 
political clean break program for the American body politic and beyond uh, that we saw that we've seen uh, since then. So Dermer, key key figure, uh, not only for Netanyahu, but also for Sharansky. And so I just want to finish up by pointing out that Sharansky, the reason why, uh, you know, I see I, Sharansky was the uh, the was the most hypocritical and uh, at least intellectually coherent of basically all of the voices of all of the neo-Parushim voices on X yesterday with Elon Musk was because he comes in by saying, I am a, you know, I am a Soviet dissident. I was a Soviet Jewish dissident and I saw the way that they they tried to uh, you know restrict free speech of Jews and religious expression uh, and uh, and all of that. So I understand free speech, um, but then he immediately transitions into I also understand how you know the the Soviet regime at the time was also had its own anti-Semitic uh, propaganda that it was pushing, and so we need to figure out how to uh, reckon with the idea that what I've seen is that uh, most of the time, much of the time, people's anti-Zionism is really anti-Semitism. We need to uh, put these protocols in place for people to be under uh, to understand that. So it's obviously intellectually coherent because uh, what he's really, I think he's really saying is that the, the you know, elements of the U.S. civil society in this case and, and the U.S. government really does doesn't really have the freedom of uh, speech that they do, that we all do, including government has freedom of speech, right? And in terms of, you know, questions around not uh, not um, operationalizing the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism, although it's been acknowledged, it's not been operationalized by the U.S. government uh, uh, recently. So there's something there where he's basically, you know, equating the Soviet Union's, uh, you know, sort of Stalinist anti-Semitic propaganda with the, you know, just sort of like, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, U.S. civil society and U.S. government pushback around Zionist control of our pu public policy and public discourse. Um, and so th there's something here where he immediately goes into how are we going to really sort of, you know, police civil society speech around equating Zionism and anti-Semitism, and he's comparing it to, uh, you know, to, to Soviet uh, state propaganda of some sort. So there, there's a, just an incoherence. Uh, he's flipping. The logic does not hold uh, at all. And I don't even think he cares about whether it holds. He moves so quickly. It's just a talking point that he's trying to, to establish his credentials, which is why I think it's very important to understand who Sharansky actually is in the background of the question the questions of what I would call established uh, Soviet uh, uh, Jewish-Israeli uh, dissidents who seem to have uh, evidence against Sharansky uh, being an actual authentic uh, dissident rather than a long-term Soviet police snitch at the very least and maybe something more like some kind of agent or, over over time. And so, you know, if, if Sharansky had his way, I'm sure he would have liked to have shut down um, you know, Jewish American journalist of conscience, Robert Friedman, especially his book, Red Mafia, 
about that deals with Sharansky's ties to uh, Russian organized crime and how that was brought in when Sharansky got into, uh, you know, highest levels of Israeli politics and how Sharansky teamed up with Netanyahu and brought on all this Russian organized crime money <laughs> into their politics uh, and all of that. So I'm sure Sharansky would have loved if he'd been able to, to shut down uh, Robert Freeman's books. But what he did was able to do was use the Israeli civil courts to really shut down his own Israeli, uh, you know, people who were already already there in Israel before he became an Israeli citizen, uh, who were calling out the actual background there of uh, Sharansky. That was in the late '90s, I think. So, so Sharansky is a is a uh, anti free speech. He's definitely anti core political free speech kind of. Uh, kind of character. But then he did, he slipped immediately into the Durban conference, which as we pointed out, Greg, when we did our analysis of uh, the Daily Wire's uh, trip to is to Jerusalem with, uh, with uh, Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson, that the speaker who introduced the conversation was really honed in on the threat of the Durban conference. Right. So there's something very, very uh, big there. As you pointed out, it's right. It's, you know, there there's a lot of talk of like the the WTO WTO protests. Of course, Naomi Klein being a crucial voice in terms of anti-globalization, especially from a left critical perspective uh, in that way. But the other side of it, in terms of you're thinking more core political uh, life was the Durban conference and obviously the question of Zionism and uh, speech uh, around Zionism being policed intensely, which is what they uh, obviously want to do. 